Good evening. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 24 and verse 24. Acts 24, 24. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away from the pre- for the present, and when I have time or more opportune time, I will summon you, or I'll call for you. Also, chapter 26 of Acts, verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, In a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. You know, these two scriptures, at least to me, are some of the saddest scriptures in the New Testament. We have two people here, and both of these men knew the way of salvation. One of them knew the prophets. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? What Apostle Paul was asking him, and what he answered was, do you believe what the prophets said about Christ, the Messiah? He says, I know you do. The first one, Felix, had a conversation with the Apostle, and the conversation again led to Christ. He interviewed the apostle, and the apostle told him why he was here, why he was arrested, and why he was awaiting the trial. And then he gave him the gospel. And as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened, or he trembled. You see conviction here. His conscience was awakened, and he trembled. But what does he do? Does he accept the good news of salvation? He knows what the end result will be. We know that it says here, he, frightened, he was frightened, he trembled. But instead he says, go away for now. I will call for you at more opportune time. When is that more opportune time? Did a time ever come? From the scriptures, we don't see that that time ever came. How about King Agrippa? He says, in a short while, in a few more moments, you would have persuaded me to become a Christian. Was he ever persuaded? We don't know. The scriptures don't say it. So here are two men, and there are thousands upon thousands and millions upon millions just like them. They have no time, even though they are convicted, and they tremble and they are frightened. There are others who are so close. What does it mean to be almost persuaded to be a Christian? Exactly what it says, almost. Close, very near, 
Not quite, not exactly. It means to be at the very gates of heaven, nevertheless, eternally doomed. John Bunyan said, and then I saw that there was a way to hell, even from the gates of heaven. These two men were at the gates of heaven. They heard the gospel. They heard about heaven and hell. They were there. All they had to do was one more step. Just believe. Just believe. He who is almost persuaded is almost saved. And to be almost saved is to be entirely lost. To be almost persuaded is to know what to do. These two men knew the Scriptures now. They knew the way of salvation. They knew that they were sinners. They knew that there would be judgment. They knew that they would have to stand before the Almighty. Yet, they refused. When I have more opportune time, in a few more moments, you would have persuaded me Almost persuaded. You know, there are many who are brought to this turning point for various reasons and through various uh, reasons as well. Various ways. Some are brought through the scriptures. They hear the gospel message, either in person or on radio or television. Maybe a pamphlet. Maybe they pick up the Bible themselves just to read it, just to see what's, what's in it. Others, on the other hand, because of their emptiness, there's a void within, and they're seeking for something to be satisfied. And they pick up the Bible, and they go to church, and they listen to a program, hoping to be filled, hoping that that void would go away. They would fill that void with something. And they think it might be Christ. Still others do it because of dangers that they are in, various problems and trials. And at that time, they think it's going to help them. Others are delivered from certain death. And this brings them to, to the Scriptures, to the Gospel, because they know that they, by all rights they should have been dead, but they were spared for reason. Others are in various dangers, and they promised God that if He would deliver them, or because He delivered them, that they will turn to Christ. They promise Him. They will start attending church. They will start reading the Scriptures. They will change their lives. But what happens then when the danger is over? They lose their anxiety. And how many of them die in their sins? Because the danger was over. Because that emptiness was filled with something else. And they're not seeking anymore. An almost Christian is one that has certain light and certain religious knowledge. Knowledge of God, knowledge of Christ, knowledge of heaven, knowledge of hell, knowledge of sin, knowledge of righteousness, knowledge of judgment, knowledge of eternity, knowledge of death. How many of them tremble at the thought of damnation 
and eternal flames of hell, like Felix did. Many tremble. And I can tell you, I've seen fear in their eyes. And I've seen tears coming out of their eyes. And there were fear. And there were trembling. And they knew where they were going to go. Yet they did not accept Christ as their Savior. There was something holding them back. It's a sad case when you see that. It makes you want to weep. An almost Christian believes in who God is. But so do demons. They tremble, just like certain people do, just like Felix did. They know the truth about Christ, about his person, about his work. They read it. They heard it. They meditated on it. They had questions about it. They asked. They were satisfactorily answered. Their questions were. They understand the benefits which come through him. Pardon, full pardon, forgiveness, righteousness, to be made righteous, to be made right with God, peace, security, salvation from the flames of hell, from God's wrath, eternal life. Their conscience may have been awakened as this man's was, both of these men. His conscience sure was awakened when he trembled. They feel their guilt of sin, eternal judgment to come. Yet the heart remains unchanged. It's been softened, but it remains unchanged. They will not make that one final step. They never apply the blood of Christ to the doorpost of their hearts. They never really fully believe and trust in the power of his blood. And they never make Christ their own Savior. And thus, they depart into Christless eternity. I'm going to tell you a story of, uh, of a man I met 20 years ago. John and I were in a mortgage business. We were new in the business. And I placed an advertisement in San Bernardino Green Sheet. This man answered uh, my ad. I spoke to him on the phone. He had many properties, and he wanted to refinance one of them. So I pre-qualified him over the phone. I told him what I needed. I sent somebody to get the information. They brought it back. He qualified. I called him back, and I said, you're fully qualified. Come on in, and we can sign the documents. Well, he wanted to know all the details. He was, a, he was a sharp man, sharp man, very bright. And I told him all the details. He came, and he signed the documents. But in, during the time that we were signing documents, before and after, we were alone in a, in a room, and we were talking about different things. And, and uh, we, we, we got to know one another better and enjoyed what, what we knew uh, about history and so on and so forth. You always find something like that with somebody that you have something in common about certain things. Well, after we closed his loan, he called me up and he says, you know what? I want you to teach me your business. I want to change professions. So teach me what you do uh, that I may be able to uh, switch what I'm doing. So I said, fine. I told him what, what the requirements were, the education and likewise the licensing and I point him to the right direction. 
And I thought that, you know, I'll never hear from him again. Because, you know, you have to take some, some classes, then the tests are not that easy, not anymore. Uh, but then I found out exactly how, how diligent, hardworking, and really bright this man was. He calls me three months later and he says, I got my licensing, when do I start? John wasn't happy about it. He says, why did you even promise him? <laughs> well, but I promised. So I said, well, come on over and we'll get you going. Well, he showed up all dressed up. And uh, I started teaching him the business. John wouldn't have anything to do with him at first. So it was just me. So him and I became very good friends. I gave him his first loan. He closed it. I helped him close it. He made some money and he was happy. He was just glowing. And then we were teaching him how to advertise himself, how to get his own clientele. And before we know it, before you know it, he did well. And I mean well. We would help everybody that came to our office. We would get them going. We would get them started. Because we know how it is to get, to get, how hard it is to get started in a new business. So we would always give him one loan in advance so he can close that loan or she can close that loan and they can have some, some money and then we'd show them how to advertise, where to advertise, and prepare their advertising, double-check their advertising, and then when uh, loans came in to double-check all the paperwork, make sure everything was fine and dandy, and get them done the right way. He started making really good money, and so did everybody else in the office. So uh, this went on for about three or four years, and we became very good friends since we spent, we had an office about 240 square feet, and there were seven of us there. My desk was my lap, and my book, uh, my briefcase, that was my desk. I worked out of my briefcase. We had another young man come in, and he was doing construction, and his name is Armando. Uh, he was an ex-professional boxer, as a matter of fact. He didn't work out in, in a boxing business, but uh, he came and worked with us, too, and he says, uh, where's my desk? Well, I says, well, you see that trash can over there? Just put your briefcase on top of the trash can, <laughs> honestly, and that's what we worked out of. But you know, we grew close one to another. We had plenty of time, and we worked those days at least 10 or 15 hours, five days a week. And we talked about various things, and spiritual things were one of them. I always made sure when somebody new came in that I gave them the gospel. I wanted to stay, see exactly where they stood. Not one of these men were born again, so we spent a lot of time speaking about spiritual things, about sin and righteousness and judgment and heaven and hell and Christ and his blood and salvation and themselves as sinners and the need of salvation and eternity. And this will go on for hours. Well, this particular man, he was raised as a Catholic, even though he was not a practicing Catholic, he was not a moral man, but he tried to, tried to act moral around me, but I could tell. But he enjoyed listening to me. It's almost like this man enjoyed listening to Paul. After about three or four years, the boys decided to open up their own shop. So they left, and they were doing well. Well, then the market came tumbling down, and the boys went out of business. So then they went all, all on their own separate ways. 
I heard from this man back and forth. I had lunch with him a couple of times. Martin was with me one time. He was very little at the time. This was about, oh, 15 years ago. So Martin was, what, seven? And uh, we went to lunch, and we had some good time. And, but after that, I, I lost contact with him for about 10 years. 10 or, yeah, 10 or 12 years. I don't know what he was doing. Uh, I heard from, from various parties that he, uh, he was on his own doing this and that and what have you. He got divorced and remarried and other things. But I didn't have any contact with him. First of this year, second week of this year, I had a strong urgency to get a hold of him. I asked one of the one of my friends, if he had his phone number. He says, I do. So I called him. I left a message for him. And within a couple hours, he called me back. And he says, you know, am I glad you called? I've been trying to get a hold of you. And I didn't know how, but I got something to tell you. So I said, well, come on over. So on Friday, he showed up, and we had a nice conversation. I said, he says to me, he says, you know, I had a brush with death. I said, well, tell me about it. He says, on 1st of January, on New Year's Day, I went sailing. He loved sailing. He had a 42 or 45-foot sailboat, and he felt so free, he said. No worries about finances or anything. He felt good up there. Now, he was an experienced sailor. But it was a beautiful day, he says, and the, the seas were nice and calm. And for whatever the reason it was, this is the first time in his sailing career he did not put on his lifeline. He didn't hook himself up. Sailboats have a lifeline that goes from one end of the boat lengthwise to the other. And a sailor has a rope or a, a belt around his waist, and he hooks that belt to the lifeline. Just will happen, or what could happen, and he can be swept off. This way, he will not be swept over, overboard. Well, he did not put one of these on. As he was doing something, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes a tide, a, a swell, and it knocks him off. And he sees the sailboat going, because he was alone, and it's getting further and further away, and it's pulled. And he knew, he was an experienced man. He says, I will not be able to survive. I have no life with in these cold waters. I'm going to die of hypothermia in no time at all. There was no sense in yelling and screaming because he did not see anybody in the, in the vicinity. Within a few minutes, he says, he's got, he got tired. He was 56 years old. He got tired and he felt numb. His arms, his legs were beginning to numb up. And he started losing consciousness, and he starts sinking. But then he would come to, and he would get his head above water for a little bit. He tried to float, but he could not anymore. And then he says, what he remembers is he was going consciousness. He says, I heard from a distance a whistle, but it was almost like a dream. And then he says, I felt myself going underwater. But then next thing he remembers, he was on the a, on a deck of a boat, and they were trying to revive him. Apparently what happened, as soon as he fell overboard, 
one. And there were some fishermen about two or three miles away. And they see the sailboat coming right at them. So they, they're honking their horns, they're yelling and screaming at whoever's uh, piloting that boat to, to see them, but there's nothing. So they just they put the engines on and they got out of the way. And then they don't see anybody on the board. board. So they follow the boat, they see it's empty, they knew something happened. So they called the Coast Guard and went on searching for this person. And they found him. As he was going underwater, they pulled him. They reached and pulled him up. When he, he says, his first thoughts were of me and the gospel. They took him to the hospital. They checked him out. He was fine. They sent him home. The next day, whole day, he says he was thinking of me and how to get in touch with me. Because I'm the only one who ever gave him the gospel. So I told him. Do you know that the Spirit of God is working in your life? That the Lord is trying to get your attention. You kept neglecting him all these years. You heard the gospel. He has given you one more chance. Don't neglect it. Don't despise it. He says, I won't. And again, I gave him the gospel. And I told them that God sent his son in order to save him. He said he believed. But there was something that he would just not make that step. Something was preventing him. So I asked him, and I says, we have a Tuesday night Bible studies. Will you come? He says, oh, yes, I'll be there. And true to his word, he was faithful every Tuesday. We have a Bible study every Tuesday from 5.30 to 6.30 at the office for the employees and agents. We're going through the Bible overview of the Bible, because all these people that I have in my class, they're unchurched, and they never read the Bible. So it's, it's pointless to start in any one, of, any one of the books. So I decided, through prayer, that I'm going to go from Genesis and all the way through Revelation and work showing what the plan of God was, why God, was, why God created man, what is the purpose of man and so on and so forth, and how, how God prepared salvation for all mankind. This man would come one hour early, and he would speak to John and Martin and other people, and then he would come to my office and we would speak about spiritual things. Oftentimes, tears were coming down his eyes because he was convicted. Yet he would not make that step. One day, He says, you know, I don't think God can forgive me for the things I've done. He said, when I was in the service, we were fighting guerrillas, communist guerrillas in South America, and I killed a lot of people. And I can see their faces. Sometimes I wake up in cold sweat. 
and I can relive it all over again. And I don't believe that God will forgive me. We're going through Gospel of John at that time. We're going through the ministry of John the Baptist. And I said, what did John the Baptist say about the Messiah? Behold the Lamb of God, who taketh what? He says, who taketh away the sin of the world. So if if he said he will take away or taketh away the sin of the world, don't you think your sin is included in it? He says, I don't know. So I said, what you're thinking, or in your thoughts, you're thinking that the blood of Christ is not powerful enough, not good enough to atone for some of your sins. You believe that he can atone for your misdemeanors and your infractions, but not the killings. He says, that's right. I don't have that hope. I don't have that faith. And a tear is coming down his eyes. You could tell that he wanted to be saved, but it was something was that, that, that little hitch was holding him back. Every Tuesday, he would stay afterwards, and we would talk about spiritual things. And then he would, he would walk with me to my car to make sure that I was all right, help me with my wheelchair, and then we would talk for another 10 or 15 minutes. Three weeks ago, we were talking about death, and he says, I'm not ready. Two weeks ago, Tuesday, I was expecting him to come early so I can give him some business. I had a listing for him. He usually showed up at 4.30, but this time he wasn't there. So I was checking my email to see if he emailed me because he was a man of his word. He, would never, he was never late. Come 5 o'clock, he's not there. I said, something must have happened. No call, no email. 5.30, nothing. And that's when I felt depressed. People were absent before from the group. I never felt this way before. I said, well, I need to call him. So Wednesday morning, I said, I'm going to have to call him to see what, what's going on. But then something came up, and I, I just didn't call him. And then Thursday morning, we usually pray, John, Steve, and myself, we usually pray every morning. And the girls know not to interrupt, not to come knocking on the door, not to send a phone call, nothing until we get done praying. Well, this time the phone rings. And the receptionist says, it's Armando, and he says, it's very urgent. And Armando knows not to bother me as well. It's very urgent. So I answer the phone, and he says he's dead. He died Monday night. He went to sleep. Apparently he had a heart attack. His wife found him on Tuesday when she came home. 
after we got done praying. I closed the door and I wept. Almost persuaded. opportunity to hear the gospel. And he knew it. He was persuaded of that. And he came and he was searching for me. And he received the gospel for three months every time. You can see the tears in his eyes. All of Thursday, I was hoping that this was just a nightmare and I would wake up any time so I can call him and tell him the urgency. But I didn't wake up. It was reality. It is appointed unto men once to die. You don't know when the Creator will call. When He will recall your breath. When he will recall the Spirit. Man is a tripart being, spirit, soul, and body. Spirit is the breath. It's been loaned to us by God. It animates the body. The body is the members that we have in order to be able to communicate, be able to live in this material world. But then there's soul, and it's you. A death separation takes place. Psalmist tells us, or Solomon tells us, that spirit goes back to God who gave it. Breath is recalled. The body goes into corruption, into the grave. But the soul continues to exist, but in a different region. All the faculties persist. We can see that from Luke chapter 16. A person can see, he can hear, he can speak, he can feel, he can recollect, he can remember. It is the same person, simply disembodied. The question is, as our brother Dave spoke this morning, are you prepared to meet your maker? You know, tomorrow is not guaranteed for anyone. You don't know when the time will come. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. By all rights, 24 years ago, I should have been dead. I came this close, literally one inch from being dead. What will happen when you open your eyes? One moment after you open your eyes. Will you be in the presence of the Lord? Where there is fullness of joy or a place of torment? And this is why I was weeping. Because I could picture him opening his eyes. 
you know, hell and the lake of fire are as real as you. Word of God says, where their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched. If it's theirs, it's been assigned to them. And if their worm will not die, neither will you. If their fire will not be quenched, neither will you. The fire has to prey on someone, so does the worm. And therefore, just like that worm, just like that fire, is going to be enduring throughout eternity, so will a person. Provision has been made by the Lord Jesus Christ. He desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. God himself came here because not one of us were righteous. But a body was prepared. And the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, took that body upon himself and lived a holy, spotless life. And then he paid the penalty. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The sin of the world was laid on him. And he took that sin. Sin of the world makes no difference what that sin was. Sin of the world taken upon himself, taken to the cross, and there he paid the penalty for that sin. And thus he made provision for all mankind, that whosoever will may come, but that whosoever has to make the decision. It is a personal decision. I wish I could ask, and I wish I could accept salvation on behalf of all the world. I would. Every born-again believer would. But that's not how salvation works. Why? Because each person has sinned against God. Therefore, that person must repent of their sins. Repentance towards God. And then faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith on who he, or who he is and what He has done. That He is the Son of God. And that, yes, His work saves. His work is good enough for every sin and cleanses from every sin. But a person must believe this. Word of God says a person must believe in their heart and confess with their mouth. There's no other salvation. There was another way to be saved. It is very simple. Yet millions upon millions and billions upon billions go into the lost eternity without Christ. And how many of them almost persuaded the heart softened up, but not soft enough. Almost ready, but not ready. I would encourage you, if there's someone here, and you don't have that peace, you don't have that joy of salvation, the Spirit of God is striving with you, even tonight. Yet the Word of God says that my spirit will not strive with men always. Spirit of God strove with my friend for many, many years, 56 years. But finally, he said enough. And he was recalled. Life is short. And death is sudden. And therefore, don't be one of these almost persuaded. But believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Dave, could I ask you to lead us in number 350, please? Almost persuaded. 
Our gracious Heavenly Father, our hearts have been touched tonight by your Spirit. Oh, Father, how many people there are that we come in contact with that are almost persuaded, but they have failed to make that one choice, their will, to receive the free gift that you offer. Oh, Father, it's free to us, but it costs you everything. It costs you your own dear son and his blood on the cross. Father, if there is anyone here tonight who has, well, they've heard the gospel, but yet, Father, they uh, have not made that choice, that life choice of accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior, repenting of their sin, admitting to you, Heavenly Father, that they're a sinner and that they need your Son as their Savior. Oh, Father, may they do it right where they're sitting and not even get up and leave the building. But, Father, we just pray that your Spirit would open their eyes and see how much your Son has loved them and done so much for them to die on the cross. And so, Father, we just ask that you would stir hearts tonight. Father, even those that we'll meet tomorrow that are on their way, they're only, a, they're only a breath away from eternity, a lost eternity. Oh, please, Father, just work in our hearts too to be willing to uh, just explain the gospel to them, to share that good news. So, Father, we ask now that you would part us with your blessing in your son's worthy and precious name. Amen.